I'll be reading from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, if you want to uh, join me there. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard also. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is it your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. Thank you. I want to know if you can put yourself in the shoes of that landowner or the day, one of the day workers and you have worked for that landowner for 12 hours in a day, and you have borne the heat of the sun, you have been out in the vineyard gathering the grapes all day long, and you have worked hard for your boss. And at the end of the day, he pays you the same wage as what he pays those who have come at the end of the day and worked only for one hour from 5 to 6 o'clock. Would you be upset about that? If you would be, let me see your hand. That's what I thought. I, I didn't think I would be alone in being upset about that. But Jesus was not really talking about working a job here and getting paid a wage that we deserve. What he's talking about in this text is the grace of God. And he's trying to to help us understand that God's grace is not something that we earn. And that leads me to the first point in this sermon. Number one, God's grace is free. And, and I think you would agree with me, there is not much that is free these days. I was trying to make a list in my mind this week of the different things that are free. And the list isn't very long. I, I was thinking maybe... Maybe a peppermint candy <laughs> might be free at a cash register there that you can just grab for the taking. And a toothpick. <laughs> but, but beyond that, there's, there's not a lot of things that are free these days. I was remembering 
in our early years of marriage, oftentimes Cindy or I would get a phone call about this free two nights in Branson at a hotel resort. And, and we go there and, and uh, free tickets to a show. And, and that word free was just almost more than what I could resist. And, and several times we would go, we would, would answer that call, and, and we would sit through this presentation that lasted for three hours. And, and they just hardly would take no for an answer. And I realized that even that wasn't very free, nor was it enjoyable. God's grace, though, is free. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's no price tag on it that says we need to pay this much in order to receive it. It's absolutely free to anyone who wants to take it. We do need to understand, though, that it's not been given to us without great cost. It's kind of like our freedoms today. We enjoy the freedom of speech and we enjoy the freedom to worship and and the freedom to vote, but they have not come to us. Those freedoms have not come to us without great cost. Much blood has been shed to buy our freedom. And so too, that is true also with our the grace of God that has been given to us. It has not come to us without great cost. The shedding of blood, precious blood, unblemished blood, the blood of God's dear son, Jesus. He died so that we could live. He took our punishment so that we could be set free. He didn't owe us this kind of sacrifice. What he owed us, if anything, was our punishment. That's what we deserved because we are sinners. But instead of giving to us what we deserve, he gave to us what we needed. He gave to us His grace. He gave to us His forgiveness, and it's absolutely free. All we have to do is reach out and receive it. We need to believe in Him as the Son of God. We need to repent of our sins, the Scripture says, being sorry for our sins and and confessing those sins to Him and asking Him to forgive us. And we need to be baptized into Jesus so that our sins can be washed away. His grace is free. We simply need to receive that grace. If I were going to give you, Judy, a gift, I'm going to give you this mint right here. A peppermint. It's free. (laughs) When's it become yours? When you take it. When you reach out and receive it. And that's what we need to do with the grace of God. He's extending it to us freely, but we need to reach out and receive it. Would you say this with me, that God's grace is free? Let's put it on the screen. After that, would you say it with me? God's grace is free. Let me get to you a second point. God's grace is amazing. We sang about it being amazing just a few minutes ago. Another way to say it would be this. God's grace is shocking. These late workers who came in and only worked for part of the day, some of them for only one hour received the same wage as those 
as those who had worked all day long. That's shocking. They were shocked. They were not expecting that, but that's the grace that was bestowed upon them by a very generous landowner. I'm thinking of the very first convert that I was able to baptize in the hospital. His name was Chester Waddell. And this goes all the way back to February 29th, which there's not many of those dates like that. February 29th. 1984, I was still working at the church in Tyro at the time. Chester was in the Coffeyville Hospital. He was dying with cancer. And I visited him there. He knew that his time was very short. He was not a Christian. He knew that too. I talked to him about his need for Jesus and how Jesus could save him from his sins and heaven could be his. And Chester wanted to give his life to Jesus. He wanted to be baptized. The problem was getting that done. Because Chester was on his deathbed. He couldn't get out of bed. He was weak. He was in pain. Every breath was a struggle for him. But he wanted to be baptized. I talked to the nurses. I called the doctor and talked with him and told him what Chester wanted to do. The doctor was very agreeable to that. In fact, he helped it to happen. He, He arranged for help to be given to me. And there were a number of people, nurses and rehab people, that were involved in this. They filled a huge whirlpool down in the rehab center with warm water. And and they came with a a stretcher and they got uh, Chester transferred from his bed to a stretcher. And they put that stretcher on a cart and they wheeled him down to the rehab center. And as we got him there, that whirlpool was almost as big as a small swimming pool. And they had a a hydraulic cherry picker that swung around and they, they hooked all four corners of that stretcher with that cherry picker and they picked him up, stretcher and all, and swung him over and lowered him down into the water and we baptized him into Jesus. It was a day that I would not ever forget. And I think it was just one day later That Chester passed on into eternity. He came to faith, you might say, at the midnight hour. But he was welcomed into heaven just as warmly and with as much celebration as the person who has been a Christian for 70 years. It's the grace of God that is amazing and sometimes it's even shocking. You know another way in which God's grace will be shocking? I think we'll be shocked at some of the people that we see in heaven. I remember years ago, the big discussion, it was amongst the whole world as to whether Ted Bundy's conversion could be real. Do you remember that? And Jeffrey Dahmer as well. Both men were mass murderers. Bundy was a rapist. Dahmer was one who was eating the people that he killed. He had their body parts in the refrigerator. And both of these guys, as they're sitting in their prison cell, waiting for the day of their death to come, the day of their execution, they had had a conversion experience. And many were wondering, surely God wouldn't let these guys into heaven 
would he? Surely their conversions weren't real. I'm glad God is the judge, not me. If I were the judge, probably these guys wouldn't stand a chance. But God's grace can sometimes be shocking and amazing. For you do know the chief of sinners, Paul, the apostle, will see him in heaven. But we may be shocked to not see some people in heaven that we would have expected to see. People who put on a pretty good show here on earth, but God knew their heart. Would you say these words with me? God's grace is amazing. How about this third point? God's grace is sufficient. Let those words sink into your mind and into your heart. His grace is sufficient to cover all of your sins, whatever it is that you have done. Whatever it is that you have said that you shouldn't have said. The things that you should have done that you didn't do. All of that is gone if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. God is in the business of forgiving us. He is in the business of granting His grace to us and remaking us. The old slate is washed clean completely by the blood of the Lamb. David said it this way in Psalms 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will... Confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So the sin is gone, and the guilt can be gone too as we accept His forgiveness. If He can forgive us, then surely we need to be forgiving ourselves. His grace is sufficient to cover all of our sins. But understand this too, His grace is also there to help us get through our problems. It's not just to clean us up and to forgive us of our sins. His grace is there to help us get through the trials of life. And there are a number of us in our church family that have been going through trials of late. Cancer diagnosis. And several from our church family are still right in the middle of that journey. Loved ones that have been snatched away suddenly and unexpectedly. Financial issues and family issues. Sometimes it seems almost more than what we can bear. And the future becomes so hazy. We don't know how we're going to get through the dark days. But we need to remember God's words to the Apostle Paul as Paul had this thorn in the flesh and he's asking God to remove the thorn from him. God's words were, My grace is sufficient for you. His grace is enough. In the original language, the word sufficient means to be possessed of unfailing strength. Whose strength? His strength. Not our strength, 
but His strength. His strength is unfailing, and it is enough to get us through whatever trial it is that we are facing. His grace, too, is sufficient enough to help us do the things that we need to do. You kind of you see how grace is so wide it covers our sins. It helps us get through the trials of life. It helps us to do the challenges that are set before us this last week. My friend Joe Warren felt like he needed to get up and give the eulogy at his son's funeral. Now, how do you do that? He had it in his heart. He had it in his mind what he wanted to say. But how does one get up and do that emotionally? Only by God's grace. Chad McKinnis and I got with Joe ahead of the service and we prayed with him. We laid our hands on him and we prayed for God's strength to be given to him that he might be able to say what he wanted to say. And, and Joe got up there and he was absolutely amazing. Really, it was God who was amazing through Joe. Because it wasn't Joe. It was God's grace getting him through. My daughter Rebecca was getting nervous before she was to begin her new ministry job down at Stillwater. And before she went, she turned to me and she said, Dad, can I do this? And I said, no, you can't. (laughs) That's a good answer, isn't it, from a dad? No, you can't. But I finished it with this These words, but with God, you can. She called me last week. They were getting ready to take 100 middle school kids to camp from their church. And she was saying, Dad, pray. (laughs) And I said, I will. (laughs) You're going to need it. God's grace is sufficient. It is enough to get us through whatever it is we're facing. Are you facing some challenges? God's grace is sufficient to help you through those challenges. Are you facing loneliness? God's grace is sufficient to help you through that loneliness. Are you facing fear? God's grace is sufficient to help you face that fear and overcome it. Are you facing doubts? Are you facing temptation to sin, temptation to be bitter? God's grace is sufficient to help you through those temptations. You're facing uncertainty with your job, and if your job doesn't make it, how in the world are you going to survive? I want you to know God's grace is sufficient to help you through whatever circumstances of life it is that you face. Would you say these words with me? God's grace is sufficient. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Because it is a scriptural truth. How about another point? God's grace is available for all people. 
Even those at that midnight hour, or in the case of the parable, in the five o'clock hour, quitting time was at six o'clock. But those who needed work, still at the five o'clock hour, they were invited to come into the field and work, and they got paid a full day's wage. God's grace is available for all people. It's available for the Jew and for the Gentile alike, praise the Lord. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And you know what? Not only does He love the little children, He loves the big children too and the old children. He loves us all. Look with me at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. You know, this is a picture of the, of the heavenly multitude. And, and we understand from this scripture that it is going to be a bilingual crowd. It will be a diverse crowd. It will be a multi-ethnic crowd. There will be rich there and there will be poor there. There will be men and women there and, and boys and girls. There will be young and old and tall and short. May even be some Baptist up there. <laughs> Do you hear about the fellow that died and he made it to the pearly gates? Peter welcomed him into heaven and he was giving him a tour as to acclimate him to his new home. He showed him one room and he said, Now I want you to know all the Pentecostals, are like, they like to hang out in this room. And so the fellow pinked inside the door and there were people in there everywhere. They were jumping over the pews and they were rolling in the aisle and they had their hands up and they're shouting hallelujah. They were really after it in their worship. And the guy stepped out and go, Wow, man, they're alive in there. Showed him another room. All the Methodists were in there. It was pretty somber in there. And then there was a room there for the Presbyterians. And, and, and there was another room. One room left. And, and the Apostle Peter said to this fellow, I want you to be real quiet because this is where all the Baptists are. And they think they're the only ones up here. Be sure of this, no one group is going to have a corner on the market in heaven. Anyone who has confessed Jesus as Lord will be in heaven. Say it with me, God's grace is available for all people. And maybe I should say this, all people who have confessed Him as Lord. 
It's not like everybody's going to get to go to heaven. Everybody's invited there. But only those who have confessed him as Lord and surrendered their lives to him will get to enjoy the party. But God's grace is available for all people. One final point. God's grace is on a time clock. There will come a day when the clock strikes midnight and God's grace will be offered no more. He will call us into account at that point and we will either be in Christ or we will be outside of Christ. Or we could say it this way, we will be either in grace or we will be outside of His grace. Hear me say this, you do not want to be caught outside of His grace when the clock strikes midnight. It is a forever penalty that you do not want to have to pay. God's grace is on a time clock. I read something a while back that I want to share with you. This is written by Matt Proctor, who is the president at Ozark Christian College, and he's referring to the first winter Olympian of the African country of Kenya. And this is what he says. As Kenya's first winter Olympian, Philip Boyd skied in the 1998 Nagano Olympics. Although he had only seen snow for the first time two years earlier, he trained intensely and qualified for the Olympic 10-kilometer cross-country race. Boyd skied bravely, but found himself in last place. As he drew near the finish, the race was long over, but Philip Boyd was in for a surprise. Waiting for him was the race winner, gold medalist beyond Dali. The legendary Norwegian skier and eight-time Olympic champion stood applauding as Boyd skied down the last straightaway and when Philip crossed the the finish line, Dally embraced him. Boyd was so touched by the champion's welcome that a few weeks later he named his newborn son Dally Boyd. I've got something better for you even than that. When you come down towards the finish line of your life and you are in his grace, guess who's going to be waiting for you at the finish line? Jesus. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, your Savior will be waiting for you and he will embrace you and he will welcome you home. Don't miss that kind of ending. Make sure that you are in his grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. 
We thank you for his amazing grace, his free grace, his available grace. Lord, if there's even one here today outside of his grace, Lord, I I just ask that you will work in that person's heart, bring them to that point of repentance, help them to understand from Scripture that you have called us to be baptized into Jesus Christ. That it's not just Kevin saying that. It's not just community Christian church that's caught up in that kind of doctrine, but it is the Bible. It is Jesus who has said this. And Father, help us then to live for you to live in your grace and thank you that your grace is sufficient it's in Jesus name we pray Amen. let's stand together please